you would, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. This morning's passage comes from Luke 2, verses, chapter, or verses 25 through 38. Hear the Word of the Lord. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, just as you opened the eyes of Simeon to behold the consolation of Israel, Jesus Christ, I ask that you, you would open our eyes and our hearts that we might do the same. May we behold Jesus Christ, that we may find hope and joy in the midst of uh, this season of life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What I'm about to say might be strange to some ears in this audience, particularly if you're of the younger generation, under 18 and still in school. There's a song common to many of us, in fact, all of us, that goes like this. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Now, if you're under 18, of course, this is a wonderful season. School is, is uh, about to finish, and you get to stay home all day. And then at the end of the month, you get presents. Lots and lots of presents. You may get to see your grandparents. You may travel, see new places. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. But if you are over the age of 18, tis the season to not be jolly. <laughs> what do I mean by this? You know, indeed, it is a, 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 this is somewhat hyper, hyperbolic on my part. But if you think about this season that we are in now, just the season of life that we are in right now, it is a season of weariness and exhaustion. What do I mean? My guess is this weekend is the weekend many of you went into your attics, dusted off the boxes labeled Christmas, and you got them down out of your attic, unpacked them, 
plugged in the lights to see if they still worked. If they didn't work, then you had to go, get, go to the store to buy new lights. Then you hang, hang, get on top of the roof. That's probably a little wet from all the rain we've had. Dangled on top of the roof, hung the lights, and that's just yesterday. We've got a lot left to do before the season's over. If you have kids that aren't going to be in school, you've got you to deal with the kids now in the house. And you're, Tis the season to be jolly. I mean, you, you still haven't even traveled to where you're going for Christmas. You still haven't even wrapped the gifts that you're getting. You might not even gotten the gifts that you're supposed to get. Tis the season to be jolly. Tis the season to be weary. Just physically. Uh, I don't think it's tis the season to be jolly. Now, I, I, honestly, we end up doing it because this is what we do and this is what we've always done. But it's a season of weariness, physically, literally physically. But I think it's, it's more also a season of weariness emotionally. Because whatever you think about Christmas, oftentimes we, we have a nostalgic view of Christmas. Friends and families gathered around the table, singing songs, laughing with one another, watching football. There, there's a sense that this season is, is one where we look, look upon as, as great. But if you have lost a loved one, you can't help but, but notice the pain of the, the love that's been lost in that person. And so this season, you know, it, it's, it's a great season, but it's also a painful season. If you've been divorced and gone through the, the, the terrible breaking apart of a marriage, this is not a season to be jolly. It is a painful season. If you have kids who are wayward in the faith, who, who come home and, and don't want to be a part of your Christmas tradition, looking to Christ as the, the hope and joy of this season, that's a painful time. Tis the season to be jolly? I don't think so. And so, when we sing songs of, of merriment and joy in this season, some of you may find it hard to do. You know, it doesn't even have to be in this season, uh, you know, this Christmas season. I think life in general can be difficult. Life in general, I mean, we are constantly being bombarded with the destruction and the decay of our world. And if you read the pa- paper, watch the news, th- there is this sense in which this, this world is unraveling unra- before our own eyes. San Bernardino this week, it could be Little Rock next week. Life is, life is difficult. And so in the midst of our weariness, longing and exhaustion, is there any hope? Is there any joy? You know, we just read Luke 2, 25-38. And in this passage, we encounter two characters who are weary, who have longed for much. The first character we encounter is Simeon. We don't get any description of how long he has waited. We don't, we don't know if he's old or young. But we do get the sense from his own words that when he beholds Jesus as a child, that he proclaims, I can now die in peace. Here's a man weary from life, seeing Christ and going, I can die in peace. In the, in, in the prophetess Anna, we see a woman who's old in age, 
A woman who's, who's been widowed, who's experienced the emotional hardships of life, probably the most difficult hardships in life, to be a widow. And here she is, heart filled with gratitude, proclaiming the consolation of Israel to those who are waiting. Why do I bring them to you and to me this morning? Because in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our exhaustion in life, and in this season, there is hope. There is the possibility for joy. How do we do that? How do we experience that? We behold the consolation of Israel just as Simeon and Anna did. This morning, I want to sit under the ministry of Simeon and Anna to see the things they saw when Jesus was presented in the temple. I want all of us to see the consolation of Israel, also known as the comforter of Israel, that we too may experience hope and joy in the midst of this weary season. So if you will, follow me as we behold Jesus in the eyes of Simeon and Anna. Let's give our attention to Simeon first. The Holy, one of the first things that you see in, in Simeon is this. Simeon was righteous and devout. Verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him very early and often who the consolation of Israel was. And it was Jesus who was being presented in the temple Verse 26. Now, there's nothing mysterious about this. This is the work of the Spirit in Simeon's life. I don't need to explain this other than he opened the eyes of Simeon to reveal this. And upon beholding Jesus, Simeon takes Jesus into his arms. And he does something quite unique. He holds him up and blesses God. And he breaks into song. Now, we don't have... The, the, the music or the lyrical, the tone or whatever that he does. But if you see, it goes, it goes from like paragraph to, to poetry. Simeon breaks out into song. And he sings a song about the consolation of Israel. Now look at these texts. These texts or these words that Simeon sings are words that are inspired by the prophet Isaiah. If you have a Bible that has cross-references or little A's or B's or C's or D's or whatever it is, you will notice that those little A's refer to constantly Isaiah, 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 Psalm 98, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah. We get a glimpse at what Simeon has been longing for. Longing for the prophecy of Isaiah to be fulfilled. And he sings this song in seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. But it's more than that. He sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy, but he also sees something more. After he gets done singing, Jesus' uh, parents are marveling. They're going, how does this person know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies? We've been, we're the only ones that know this. How, how do you know this? And Simeon looks at Jesus' Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph, and he says something to them as well, prophesying about Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 34. 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then he breaks off. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, saying that to Mary, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here, Simeon is actually looking towards not only, he's not even look, looking back to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He's prophesying about Jesus' ministry and how his ministry will divide and rise people up. Simeon does something incredible with this. He sees the consolation of Israel as both fulfillment and also as um, a sign of hope. Why in the world? Does Luke include this in his history? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good question to ask. Why do we have this encounter between Simeon and Jesus in, in the presence of this with this consolation of Israel? And I think it's three things, uh, or two things for us in the midst of this season. First of all, Luke wants us to see early and often that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecies made 600 years prior to this moment. That is why he has Simeon lifting up Jesus and having him sing the songs of Isaiah's prophecies. He wants the readers, you and I, to see Jesus being the fulfillment of these prophecies made 600 years so that we know that there is something significant in this person. And what are those prophecies? Look at verses um, 30, 31. It's this. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke wants us to see the consolation of Israel is not just for Israel, the Israelites, but the consolation is for everyone. It's a fulfillment of the promises made 600 years. But that is not all. That is not all. He wants us to see, as I said before, that Jesus' ministries will bring about the fall and rising of many in Israel. You may not know this, but this story is the beginning of Jesus' ministry throughout the whole uh, history. Of, let me back up. Luke writes the history of Jesus, and this is at the beginning of his history. And this is a foretaste of the history that will be um, unpacked throughout the rest of Luke's history. And Luke writes two historical accounts of Jesus, Luke and the book of Acts. In the book of Luke, you see the prophecies of Isaiah being fulfilled. That, 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 that Jesus is the consolation of Israel. And then in the book of Acts, you see the Gentiles being grafted in, mainly through the ministry of Paul. So why does Luke include this in his history? He's giving you cliff notes for Jesus' ministry. He's giving you cliff notes of what Jesus is doing, how Jesus is the comfort for everyone in the midst of this season. And so what? So what that we see Jesus both as the fulfillment of prophecy and as the, the, the rising and falling of many. So what, what does that do for us? I think in the midst of this Advent season, what it does for us is it forces us to look back on what it accomplished. That Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of prophecies. Now why does that give us any comfort? Because God is being faithful to his word. He promised that he would come and bring salvation to all people. And in Jesus, he fulfills that. 
God is faithful to his word. Do you believe that? You say, oh, how, do you, how do you know that he fulfilled the prophecies that was presented in Isaiah? I'm going to use you as an example. My guess, many, there's not many of you that are of Jewish descent. Many of us come from Gentile descent, European, um, not from the Jew, Jewish area. Therefore, the fact that you are in here worshiping God in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, is of the fulfillment of, of Simeon's word. You are the fulfillment of that. God is faithful to his word. And so in this first advent, we look back and we praise God and we find peace in the fact that God is faithful to his word to bring Gentiles into his community of faith. But I think it's also this. Just as Jesus' ministry is unpacked throughout, is, it, throughout Luke's history, we look forward. We look forward to the second advent when Christ will come again. When all things will be made new. When the ministry of Christ will be fulfilled and it will be over. Advent is a season where we reflect on Jesus' coming and we also look forward to Jesus' coming again. When, when people from all tribes and all nations will worship the living God. Do you believe that God is at work? Do you believe that Christ is coming again? Do you believe that all tribes and nations will worship the living Christ? You know, sometimes it's hard to believe that. Sometimes we get so wrapped up into how things are going maybe with our neighbors or how things are going in our city that we lose sight of the fact that God is at work. I lose sight of that. Well, two years ago, um, when I was living in Orlando, I was serving as a pastor in Orlando, my wife and I had the privilege of going to SeaWorld because Orlando and SeaWorld are like that. And we had season passes and so we decided we're going to go to the Christmas Spectacular at SeaWorld. I mean, why not, right? And I honestly didn't expect very much from the Christmas Spectacular other than to see Shamu, to see the dolphins and whatnot. But God opened my eyes in a, in a, in a strange, it's, it's an amazing way to see that God is at work in the most unexpected places. Here I was, sitting before Shamu in this, this spectacle that is Shamu's tank. And while this was going on, SeaWorld was playing the song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. And I thought to myself, that's strange. SeaWorld, not, not a, in any way a church environment, not in any way Christian in any sort of way. But here they were proclaiming to the world... Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And in the midst of this song being sung, and the dancers, and they have dancers, like the, the, the orca whale-like people, and they're doing the cheesiest dances. In the midst of this song being sung and the cheesy dancers, a whale leaps up out of the water to the song Joy to the World. And I couldn't help but think, this seems a lot like some of the prophecies that I've read in the Old Testament. 
When, when the psalmist will, will talk about the trees clapping their hands and the seas roaring, here before me is an orca whale literally dancing to the song, Joy to the World. I, I was like, oh my goodness. And then I looked to the right and to my left. And it, as no surprise to you, SeaWorld is a place where tourists come. And you know what I saw to my right and to my left? I saw the nations. I saw the nations. I saw Brazilians and, and Chinese, Indonesians. I saw Middle Eastern people watching before their eyes, singing the song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. In the midst of God's creation, dancing before him. And you know what it was? It was a taste of heaven. God is at work. And sometimes it's difficult to see, especially in the midst of this season, where we are exhausted both physically and emotionally. But I think, taking it back to Simeon, Simeon wants us to see that God both has fulfilled his word and is fulfilling his word. And because of that, we can find hope. The consolation of Israel presented to us through the eyes of Simeon I present to you as a gift of hope in this season. But that's not the only thing that we see in this text. We also see the, uh, the, the consolation of Israel through the eyes of Anna. Look, look, at, look at the text again. Verse, verse 36. And these two stories definitely play with one another. That's why I've included it in it. Here, Luke gets quite descriptive of Anna, more descriptive than he does of Simeon. She's a prophetess. She's the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. Honestly, it's hard to interpret this. Either she's 84 years old or she's 105 years old. But the point that Luke is making is not she's 105 or 84, but that she's old and that she's a widow. That life has beaten her over the head. But more than that, that she's pious and she's devout. That she spends her days in the temple fasting and praying. Here's a woman of God, loving God. Here's a woman of God who sees the consolation of Israel and is so moved that she begins to speak of him to those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I guess you could say we have in Anna the first evangelist. And if she is 105 years old, she's 105 years old. Side note, if you think you're too old to be an evangelist, I don't think you're 105. If, the, if, if Christ uh, wells up in you, you can, you can proclaim the goodness of God to anyone. But that's beside the point. The question that I really want to unpack and to look at is how did Anna connect both the consolation of Israel in whom she saw in Jesus and with the people who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem? Because it is those people that she goes and she communicates. So what did she see in the consolation of Israel? That is Jesus. To the, and, and how did she connect it with the redemption of Jerusalem? I'm going to get into some history here. 
historically and biblically speaking, when any time you hear redemption in all of the scriptures, particularly in the scriptures of the Jews, that being the Old Testament, it refers to the Israelites being redeemed out of Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. And, and they, they were forced to do all sorts of works. And they cried out to God, please save us. And God responds, I'm going to redeem you out of Egypt. Being, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. And that is exactly what he does. He redeems Israel out of Egypt, comes and, and is present amongst them. Is their God and they're his people. God amongst them. They're the light of the world. So when, when, when Anna and, and, and Luke are seeing people longing for the redemption of Jerusalem, it is certainly that much. That we are in some way enslaved and we need to be delivered. But what does it mean for the redemption of Jerusalem? What is, what is that? What is, how does that coincide? Well, this is the only time in the New Testament where the phrase redemption of Jerusalem is used. And so it's hard to kind of discern, okay, what, what is Luke trying to do? What, what is he trying to do with this redemption of Jerusalem? I think, and my, my proposition to us today is this, that the Israelites who were living in Jerusalem at the time still saw themselves as exiles from the, from, from the time when they were exiles in Babylon. That, that, that in some way and in some fashion, they were still enslaved. So in terms of the longing for redemption of Jerusalem, they were longing for Jerusalem to be as it once was. Let me unpack this a little bit. At the time when this story occurred, the Romans were in power. They had been in power for some 60 years at the time. The Romans were not godly people. They allowed the Jews to be present. But in many ways, the Israelites still had to pay taxes. They were enslaved to the Romans. Before then, the Hasmoneans ruled the day. And they were Jewish, but they were so influenced by Greek that it's like, you're not the, the Israel of old, the Israel of David. Before the Hasmoneans, the Seleucids, before the Seleucids, the Ptolemies. Before Ptolemy, you had Alexander the Great. And before Alexander the Great, you had the Persians. And before the Persians, you had Babylon. Why do I I mention this history? Because it is this history that is causing these people to long for the redemption of Jerusalem. It is this history in which they see life. In which they see themselves still enslaved to Babylon. Yes, they've been delivered physically. But they have yet to be delivered spiritually. And what do I mean by this? When the Israelites came back from Babylon, the temple was built. And when the temple was built, the priests who were from old and the, and the Levites who were from old, who, who had seen the temple before, wept because they saw the temple, but they didn't see it as it once was. What did they not see? Here's what they didn't see in the temple. Here's what they didn't see in the midst of Jerusalem. The Spirit of God dwelling in their midst. Ezekiel 10 and 11, a a prophecy before Israel was being delivered into Babylon. It was a vision of Ezekiel. And in this vision that Ezekiel saw, he saw the Spirit of God lift up out of the temple and leave it. 
He left because of the practices of Israel, because of the idolatry and the waywardness of the people of Israel. The Spirit of God left the presence of his people, no longer was there. And so when those priests and those Levites looked at the new temple, what did they not see? They did not see the presence of God. So, all of that to say, here, back to the story with Anna, where are they? They're in the temple. The temple has yet to been redeemed. Jerusalem itself has yet to be fully redeemed from slavery. The Romans are ruling The the temple itself is yet to experience the presence of God. It is not what it once was. And here is Anna. Beholding the consolation of Israel. Who is Jesus. And she begins to speak to those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Why? Because of this. The presence of God has come back to the temple. It is no mistake that this story occurs in the temple. It is the first time since God left the temple before the the, the Babylonian exile that that God comes back into his temple. God has come near to Jerusalem. I will be your God. You will be my people. Jesus is the pronouncement that the redemption has occurred. But it's more than that. Because Anna is a prophetess, she, like Simeon, can see ahead. She, my contention is, saw that the redemption uh, that would be had through the life and the death of Christ would bring about fully the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, how in the world was redemption had in Egypt, if you know this? What was, the, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? It was the angel of death coming upon Egypt and slaying the firstborn. But the Israelites were spared that because they got to sacrifice a lamb. And when they sacrificed that lamb, the angel of the Lord passed by And they were saved. It's the same thing here. Who came into the temple? It was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. It was God himself coming into the midst of his people to be God to them, to be their people. There is no greater thing in this Advent season, I assure you, than this. That you and I have been redeemed from our slavery. Not a slavery to some Roman evil lords, but from the slavery of sin in our life. Because ultimately Christ was not redeeming us from the Romans. Christ was redeeming us from sin. And not only that, Christ was coming into our midst to be our God and and for us to be his people. In this season, you may experience loneliness. You may experience the trials and the tribulations that come with sin. But know this, Christ is near in His Spirit with you. And Christ has redeemed you from sin. We should take great joy in Christ our Redeemer. Are you weary? Are you weary in the midst of this season? 
Well, I hope that as parents give gifts to their children and find delight in the gifts that they, they receive, that you have received the gift of the consolation of Israel, both as the hope of what is to come and as the joy that we have. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that in the midst of our weariness, we would see you as our hope and as our joy. Open our eyes this season to see the ways you're working. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.